woods can be a scary place. Dark shadows creeping in the moonlight. Unfamiliar sounds surrounding you. Stalking you. Is it a ghost? A werewolf? Or something more? Human. What would you do if you found yourself lost in the strange woods? Join us as we discuss the paranormal, true crime, and anything in between with your hosts, Jeremy. Yeah, no, I've, t- I've seriously, I've talked about people that, wow. Jonathan. Where were you in the day we found out? And Peter. Oh man, is this it? Am I finally seeing a UFO? Welcome to the Strange Woods Podcast. So just to get it out of the way, who remembers like how we officially met? Because I've got some murky memories and some may not be fully accurate. So I'm curious. I don't know. I think somehow Peter met you through MySpace and just me being really close friends with Peter just somehow joined in. Yeah, that's my recollection. I think we were all fans of Blink-182. Okay, that tracks. <laughs> yeah, somewhere along that. My memory says it was maybe 2005. It could be. It could have been for me, maybe Peter, because Peter was before me. So for me, it may have been closer to 2006. Okay. Um, I remember like actively chatting with you and stuff when your Two Guns album released, because I think I bought oh, wow. that from you via MySpace. Okay. Yeah, I was trying to figure out when we lost touch. So that would have been the end of 2007 if we were still talking then. Yeah. My memory is that we we talked on AIM a lot and MySpace. And then I think by 2007, everybody had transitioned to Facebook. And I don't think we ever reconnected after that. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, I don't think. I'm pretty sure I would look you up once in a while on social media. Yeah, and then, like, See what you were up to. Yeah. Jeremy was always really hard for me to find. I'm, well, I have a very common name. <laughs> Right, But yeah, Peter, I think I found you several times and maybe requested you either Facebook or Instagram a number of times over the years and then never really talked. Yeah, I I was always on social media, but never involved in it, I guess. I was always doing kind of the art thing, but I was never really talking too much to people. I'm pretty antisocial. Yeah. Yeah, I did a lot of lurking. Um, Well, I think (laughs) there was for a while, Chris, there. It was either MySpace or Facebook. Where I was either friends with you or followed you, but you would turn off or deactivate your page periodically and pretty much reactivate when you either had an, a music release or something like that. But this would have been, huh. gosh, maybe between 2008, 2011-ish, maybe. Okay. That Just sounds vaguely there. very possible, yeah. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure Peter and I had several conversations when you were first dating Brandy or... I believe so. In the early stages of that, I remember... I could be wrong about this, but I, I remember that you guys were friends and that you and I had spoken that you wanted to tell her you had feelings, but you were kind of nervous to do it. And I think we kind of talked through that a number of times. <laughs> That's That sounds right. And so it super tripped me out when you said, oh yeah, Brandy and I are married. Like that's, Stop it. This was a long, long time ago, right? You got relationship advice from, from the podcaster. <laughs> First of all, I'm offended. That you confided in Chris and not me. <laughs> but you probably heard about it every day. We all work together uh, at Blockbuster. Yeah. Okay. That's another thing that I remember very well is Jeremy, every single time you logged into AIM, you would message me and be like, have you watched the Chum Scrubber yet? <laughs> and I, I, to this day, I don't know what that movie is, but. Why have you not like, watched it? It was like every time we spoke, you're like, have you watched Chum Scrubber? 
And I didn't, I never even Googled it to see what it was. It sounded like an 80s horror movie or something. And so I don't know where that started, but I do remember you guys working at Blockbuster. Now, I, I kind of have this habit of intentionally overdoing things like that. Uh, so if I see somebody hasn't watched something, I'll just keep bringing it up for the sake of doing it. Because like <laughs> I got a friend, a uh, coworker of mine who still has not li- or watched or listened to Hamilton. So every time I talk to him, like, dude, you need to listen to Hamilton. And he's like, no. All right. Have you listened to Hamilton yet? Chris, have you listened to Hamilton? I actually have not. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Well, that's going to be the new one. Right. Please. Yeah, I'm messaging you in a week to remind you. <laughs> yeah, we're officially showing our age. We worked at Blockbuster. We were on MySpace talking to each other on AOL. <laughs> yeah, the kids, he says, what's AIM? You'd have been there, kid. <laughs> It's like TikTok, but a long time ago. <laughs> TikTok with no videos, no pictures, no anything. Yeah, it's, it's the comment section of TikTok. <laughs> Just the comment <laughs> section. No, that's actually not entirely wrong. So today we have a special guest for you guys. We're talking to musician and podcaster Chris Lambert from the popular true crime podcast, Your Own Backyard. His show brought widespread attention to a cold case from his hometown. In 1996, Kristen Smart went missing after a party on her college campus. After 26 years, the case got some traction from some new leads with the help of the podcast popularity, eventually leading to a recent arrest and conviction. If true crime is your thing, definitely go listen to Your Own Backyard. So yeah, thanks for uh, coming on our show, Chris. No problem. Thanks for the invite. Definitely. It sounded like fun. <laughs> we officially have street cred now. <laughs> and 20 people are going to find out about it. Yeah. Actually, a coworker, a coworker finally listened to an episode today. Is oh, wow. That- yeah, he listened to the uh, the Alcatraz escape sh- mini episode. He's like, oh, that was pretty cool. I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a good salesman. Well, you don't even listen to it yourself, so it's hard to tell anybody to watch it. I, I, I have no idea how it sounds. <laughs> I don't, at this point, I don't even remember what I sound like over a microphone because I just don't. <laughs> what is the last one you heard, the first one? Uh, probably episode 0.5, like just like the tester, I think. Good God. Here's the thing. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't like podcasts. <laughs> I don't listen to them. <laughs> no offense to you, Chris, or, or us, I guess, but it's just, I don't know. Like at work, I get so many distractions and interruptions. I don't even listen to music anymore at my desk. Yeah, but how long's your drive back home? I guess for audiobooks. Man, I've started, I started listening to the Witcher series again. So I got to, I can't interrupt that with podcasts. I've wanted to get into audiobooks, but I've just, <laughs> I've refused to pay for them. And podcasts are free. So. So Chris, what's your favorite podcast? Um, God, you know, I probably burnt myself out on podcasts around the time that I started doing them. Oh, I bet. Um, I kind of bounced around a lot. I, I really like comedy podcasts. I like listening to interviews with stand-up comics and stuff and stopped doing that for a while. Like Joe Rogan? Um, yeah, I've listened to that on and off. The one I came back to a lot was called You Made It Weird. And it was like interviews with different stand-ups. I used to listen to that one and I forgot about it. Yeah. I need to go back to it. What was the guy's name on that? Pete Holmes. Pete Holmes, yeah. Right. Yeah, he's funny. Yeah. And luckily living where I do, a lot of these people come to like the Los Angeles area, which is like three hours from my house. So I've been lucky enough to see a lot of stand-ups in person and check them out and go home and listen to interviews with them on podcasts. And then I delved into true crime around the time that Serial came out, that first season of Serial that like everyone in the world listened to. Yep. I was one of those. Yeah. Then kind of shopped around and found out I didn't like the genre very much. And there were more that I didn't enjoy than ones that I did. Well, I find that ironic. Yeah. it. W- I, I think it's kind of what spurred me on was 
that ones that were done well, I thought, man, there's like a lot of benefit to these documentary style podcasts that really delve into a case rather than just talking about it for 20 minutes and then having half an hour of ads or whatever. Yeah. And a lot of them are comedy based too, which is some people's cup of tea. I'm just not really, uh, didn't really hold my interest. So I think that's what made me want to start my own was like hearing ones that were done well and wondering if I could do the same about a case that meant something to me. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, that is really cool. Like I'm, I'm super proud for you that it went as far as it did. Like that's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, who knew when I first started it, I thought, I hope the people around here listen and maybe a couple hundred, couple thousand listeners would be nice, but that's not why I'm doing it. I'm just trying to document this case as well as I can and, you know, track down people, interview them, put together a good documentary that kind of holds up. And maybe in 10 years, somebody could look it up and go, wow, that's a really interesting case that this guy documented. I didn't necessarily expect it to have any real time um, effect. Yeah. What was it about that case that actually reached out to you? Was it because it was local to you or was there just some other pull? Um, it's that it was local and that it was unsolved and that it seemed so kind of cut and dry. I mean, the, the mystery of it is what did this guy do with her body to this day? It's like, what, where did he bury her at? It was never what happened to her. It was like, yeah, she got walked home by this creep who everybody always knew did it and they just never had enough evidence to arrest him. But once I started delving in and, and interviewing people, my focus became where's her body and can we recover it for her parents just so we have some solid answers for them. But that kind of stuff drives me crazy. Like having a big question mark that it doesn't have an answer. It just was the driving force, like pulled me in because it's local, but also because it's like, can I figure this out? Did you ever expect to actually go all the way through? Like see yourself on the other side? Yeah, my hope was that I would find somebody who knew where she was buried and they would come forward and share that information. I'd pass it on and they'd dig her up and it would be over with. But um, it ended up going the legal route instead. I ended up uncovering some information that the sheriff's department had never heard and people who were willing to testify that this guy um, had sexually assaulted them, that he had a history of raping people and, and all that. So... They're like, okay, well, now we've got enough evidence to make an arrest and charge him with this murder. And I thought, well, that's great. I never saw that coming. So sure, it's like a great outcome, but it certainly wasn't something I thought was possible. Yeah, I wouldn't imagine getting started on a project like that. It would ever yeah. blow up as big as it did either. Yeah, that's so awesome. Yeah, right. I mean, you just, you do some awesome work in, in the field. I mean, I guess my question would be, how's it feel to first go out and try to find the people that you feel you need to interview or actually making first contact with somebody like that? Um, pretty uncomfortable yeah. at first. I'm, I'm like a very shy person and keep to myself and pretty introverted. And I started out just calling people. Like I'd look up stuff in the newspaper and it would say, this witness said that he saw her at a party that night. And I would just look the guy up on Facebook and send him a message or try to find his number and call him and say, hey, can I talk to you about this? And the first few people were like, what the hell? Like, who are you? <laughs> and and I mean, it, it had been by that point, like 23 years since she had disappeared. So they had not been spoken to yeah. about this since it happened. So yeah, getting a call from somebody who's not a cop and not even a journalist, just this guy who's like, I'm making a podcast. And I think everybody had very low expectations for what that meant. I think they assumed it was going to be, you know, a couple friends sitting around like a an iPhone recording a conversation about it. And didn't really understand that what I was doing was trying to put together a documentary where everybody told their own 
story about what they remember and their interactions. I was trying to track down everybody who had seen her that last day and just try to piece together hour by hour where we know she was up until the point she disappeared. And um, it just kind of snowballed into something else. I ended up talking to, you know, people who knew the suspect, people who had had run-ins with him, um, Kristen's whole family, a bunch of childhood friends. And so then at that point, it was like, well, maybe what I'm putting together here is a documentary that her parents can take away from this, that they can show other people and go, if you don't know what happened to our daughter, this guy has done like an exhaustive job of putting the story together with firsthand accounts and all that. So it was just something that made sense at that point. That's really awesome. And like you said, you know, somebody reaching out that's not not the police, not a, a reporter, not, I think like you, you kind of broke down barriers there to make people feel more comfortable and more, I guess, heard. And Well, a lot of people don't want to talk to the cops, but a random guy from who, who knows where, you know, they might talk. Right. Yeah. And I heard that from a lot of different people that um, part of it is that they were afraid to get wrapped up in something legal. Like, I don't want to testify and I don't want to have my name written down or my name on the news. Oh, for sure. But I'll talk to you. Like, what do you want to know? And they'd let me record them. And I made the offer up front to everyone. If you don't want your name out there, I will never release that even to police. If they contact me, I'm going to keep your name a secret until you're comfortable coming forward. And I think that made people comfortable. And then a lot of people started telling me, you're just really approachable. Like when I saw you in person, you looked trustworthy and you were you know, quiet and you didn't push. And so people were more willing to open up to me than they would have been talking to a detective where they might've been a little more guarded or worried that something was going to get them wrapped up in a court case, which a number of them ended up accidentally doing anyway. Right. And it's not like you were going in trying to get anybody in trouble or get yourself into any legal trouble anyway. Right. And I mean, even, even the suspect, like my goal was never to get him charged with a crime. It was hoping he would confess was really my, my goal for him. And I, I early on, I went to his house and my goal was to just appeal to him to compassionately and try to ask him if he wanted to keep this secret for the rest of his life. And if, if it's been working out well for him and, and in hindsight, I think that was pretty naive and probably pretty dangerous to just show up at this guy's doorstep knock on his door when this podcast I made about him is like number three on the national charts right now. And he's definitely aware of who I am. And then I just show up knocking. It's probably not very smart and I'd do it differently today. Yeah. I forget. Did you actually get to talk to him or did he just kind of ghost you? He he actually wasn't home when I went. I found out later <laughs> he was at work that day, but I was there from like at 5 a.m. till 3 p.m. or something, hoping to get a glimpse of him and just catch him. It might be for the better that he was at work. Yeah. For, I found out later he actually was in possession of some guns at the time, which as a felon, he couldn't even legally own. Oh, wow. So I don't know what would have happened to me. Like, clearly he didn't have any regard for the law. So I'm sure he would have used them if he felt threatened. Yeah. I'm going to be honest with you, Chris. That was a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm glad you went through all this effort, but... <laughs> my, my mindset going in was definitely like, maybe nobody's ever approached him in the right way. Like maybe I can be, cause he just refused to talk ever. So maybe nobody's been nice to him or maybe nobody showed, shown him any compassion. And if I did that, maybe I'd get something different now that I've, you know, I've sat in a courtroom with him for almost a year. I, I don't think he's got a bone in his body that, that cares at all about what anybody feels. And especially about this girl and her family. 
And so I'm certainly not on a list of people he would want to talk to. You're not best friends? Hey, best friends? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I think the best part of this is this entire case, you know, got cracked simply because you personally do not have a resting bitch face. Like since you're approachable, <laughs> you were able to accomplish so much. But if you just looked like an asshole, they wouldn't have talked to you. It's, it's, it's kind of wild to think of it. <laughs> like it, another piece that that played into was that I formed a really good relationship with the detectives who early on I was like, Everybody keeps telling me they're not doing anything. So I had that mindset. And once I actually met them and sat down, they were pretty guarded at first. But eventually they started to open up to me and they were like, you know what? You're just not an asshole. And so that's like really what it comes down to. We're willing to talk to you because frankly, you're not an asshole. And a lot of the people that try to talk to us are. And so that they got me pretty far. Just be nice to people. Honestly, that's my life motto. Don't be an asshole. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, ta- I've seriously, I've talked about people that, wow, I've talked to people about this before. Like, if you just don't look like a dick, like life is a lot easier for you. Like if you're just approachable <laughs> and kind, people will just be more giving towards you and they'll yeah. talk with you. You know, it's just, I don't know. It, it's different. So Jeremy, when when are you going to start doing that? <laughs> Dude, why do you think I don't shave my face? <laughs> I, I, I look hideous without a beard. But a smile goes a long way. Yeah. So asking the real questions, Chris, do you believe in aliens? <laughs> uh, absolutely, I do. What about you guys? I mean, does other life exist in the universe? Yes. Do I think it's visited us? Uh, I don't know. That's that's a different debate. I'd like to think we're not the only dumbasses out here. All right. Let me rephrase. Do you guys think they're here? No. Sorry. <laughs> um, That's a tough one. I think I probably wouldn't be comfortable saying yes to a question that simple. I think it's probably a, a complex issue that's that's harder to sum up than that. I'd agree with that. I think they're very aware of us and maybe have visited or maybe have even made contact at certain points, but I don't necessarily think they're like walking around in people suits. <laughs> Men in black style. So are y'all all aware that uh, Tom DeLonge from Blink-182 kind of started all this mainstream uh, alien talk? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm aware. And honestly, a lot of, I think a lot of Redditors kind of trash him a lot because they say he's gone off the deep end in the conspiracy theory world. So I don't know my opinions on that exactly. Yeah, I remember when he left the band there were a lot of headlines that were like Tom DeLonge quits Blink-182 to chase aliens or to find UFOs that kind of just made him sound like a nut job. And then I remember when he did that Joe Rogan interview, I really felt like he didn't get a fair shake there. It felt like Joe Rogan started off that interview like, what the hell are you doing here? And really never let him get anything in. A lot of what Tom would respond with was like, I can't get into that. I can't answer that. And I think that kind of pissed Rogan off. But I, a lot of what he's said has proven to be true. And I remember, I, I want to say it was like the 2016 election when some of Hillary Clinton's emails leaked. And there were some in there that were emails from Tom DeLong to like her, some advisor or someone. It was like discussing UFOs openly. It was like, wait a minute. You know, I forgot about that, but you're right. I didn't know about that. <laughs> yeah. And I remember he was just like, yeah, see? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's got to feel pretty vindicating to have a bunch of people that just think you're an absolute idiot for leaving this huge band. And then these emails leak and you're like, I told you guys. So I don't know. I, I feel like he's one of those people who's connected to people who have the answers. And I don't know how much of that they've shared with him and stuff, but I certainly believe he's, he's on the right track. 
Yeah. Well, I think that would explain what you were talking about in the Joe Rogan interview where he's like, oh, I can't discuss that. I think he probably has talked with higher ups or people in the government a lot more than he leads on, but he just simply can't discuss it either, you know, for whatever reasons. Right. NDAs are a real thing. Yeah. And I'll say from firsthand experience, I had conversations with, you know, sheriff's detectives, people who who would share things with me that if you, if I were asked publicly about it, it's like, that's going to get me in so much trouble if I answer that right now, because this is, I know it's supposed to be confidential. I never signed anything, but I just know nobody's ever going to trust me again. And so a lot of that stuff is just sort of inherent. When somebody high up shares something with you, you're like paranoid that if you say the wrong thing at the wrong time, you're going to lose all your connections. So not that I would compare it to a, the scale that he's on, but I certainly understand at my level, even local police, you know, you don't want to lose that that trust that you have. Right. I guess that's an angle I never actually considered, but it makes a lot of sense. Like you really don't talk out of line because then you will just simply lose the good graces of whatever connection you do have. Well, it's almost like building a Jenga tower with trust, you know, like you pull one wrong comment in a public interview, you know, it, it topples over. Yeah. Nobody trusts you. Nobody believes you. Yeah. No, no law enforcement official or anybody wants to talk to some guy and then have them go on TV or, the radio or something and just blab about everything they shared. Cause then it's like, what the hell am I sharing with you for? If I wanted to be on TV, I would just go myself. So you got to have some chill. Exactly. I mean, one person that says something, what they do know if they do come out about it, like a whistleblower or somebody like that. I mean, you have the whole world against you. That's going to try to basically, you know, discredit you for sure. Well, it's like this guy, uh, David Grush. Have y'all been following the recent news? About this whistleblower? I'm vaguely aware, but I'm not keeping up with it too closely. Yeah, he uh, he works for the Pentagon and just testified under oath along with a couple other guys, basically saying these things are real and that the government knows about it. And, you know, that's under penalty of, I, I assume, going to jail if he's lying about it and they find out, right? It'd be perjury when you lie under oath. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't been able to delve in as much as I'd like to. I remember the day that he came out, all the headlines, and I was knee deep in editing some of my last episodes. So I just couldn't devote any time to it. And I've really only been able to watch, I don't know, maybe an hour of those hearings, but it's been pretty fascinating to watch. I remember, God, it must've been like the late 80s that this guy, Bob Lazar, had come out and said something similar about Area 51. And he was on like the local news. And then he was on like Coast to Coast AM when that was on the radio. And I'm sure you guys have probably heard that name. Oh, yeah. But it reminded me of that. Yeah. I feel like Bob Lazar, if he is telling the truth, is probably sitting back like, you know, I told y'all 30 years ago or however long the 80s is now. <laughs> the, the 80s is 40 <laughs> years ago now, Peter. Oh, God. I feel old now. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting how much what he said lines up with what Grush is saying. And um, I think there's a few other people that have come forward uh, now that, that were testifying and yeah, a lot of what they're saying is basically what Lazar was saying a long time ago, that the government had recovered some kind of aircraft and then reverse engineered it and had possibly even collected alien bodies or something. And every time that came up in the hearings, they got really kind of tight-lipped about it. Like, we can't go into that part. But I think he confirmed at least that the, he said they had recovered non-human biological material or something. Yeah. Do you believe him? I found him pretty trustworthy. My impression of him, like I kind of hold myself to a standard of, I would say I'm a pretty good bullshit detector, at least in person. And my impression of him was like, 
all right, I think he's telling what he knows. I don't get the impression that he's making this stuff up. And he certainly was well-spoken whenever he was challenged or whenever a representative would ask him a question. He kind of answered it very fluidly and didn't have to put a lot of thought into it. So I don't know. Um, You know, trusting him though, my thought is, I think what he's saying is truthful, but I'm suspicious of his motives and I'm suspicious of who's allowing him to come forward with that kind of information and not just you know, disappearing him in a desert somewhere as tends to happen. Right. And that's, that's kind of where I'm at with it. (laughs) Yeah. What if he thinks he's telling the truth, but they're feeding him false information for whatever reason? Right. Yeah. I, I am inclined to believe that that's likely the outcome of something like this. The, The problem that I have is that I feel like for the government to investigate itself is really suspicious already. Like to have all these representatives or senators or whatever asking questions as if they don't already know or don't have some some knowledge of this. I don't believe those are regular citizens like you and I, you know, and they're asking questions like, do you believe this and and all that? And I just think for them to be asking this on national television where all of us can access it and watch it, I just don't believe they would be doing that unless it was either a strategy towards disclosure that something that had been put into play for some intention. I don't know. I just, I don't feel like it's a random whistleblower who comes forward and they're like, all right, let's televise you telling all these deep secrets about our government. Yeah. Maybe this is the government's way of giving us the truth, but not in a way that they're like, Hey, we're just liars. Well, it's either them giving us the truth or it's not a smear campaign, but what's the, uh, disinformation, disinformation, but to what end? To get us away from thinking about elections or the dollar being not worth a damn, (laughs) any of these things going on nowadays. (laughs) I think it's just to give people something to talk about. I think, I don't know, I think if all of it were legitimately true, they wouldn't be airing it out like this, but... I'd like to see more information come from a non-U.S. source. (laughs) Uh, And I hate to say it like that. I mean... I really hate to say or be sound like the conspiracy theory guy here. I just hate getting certain information from within. From within our own borders, we have a lot of crazy shit that goes on. I mean, we know that shit gets covered up all the time. That's why we have to trust um, pop punk musicians to find it out for us. Yeah, exactly. He's not part of the government. <laughs> As far as we know, (laughs) he wouldn't lie to you. And uh, part of what I would guess that he tapped into is that my impression, I mean, I I used to listen to religiously like shows like Coast to Coast AM and stuff. And you guys remember Art Bell? Oh, yeah. The radio host. And he would do like in the middle of the night, he'd have call ins and stuff. And a lot of it was crazy, but some of it rang pretty true to me. Um, But he would have people like Bob Lazar on to tell their story. And I got the impression that the people who are at least close to UFO disclosure, um, that there had sort of been this push for a while to do like a slow leak of information to the public or sort of move towards that as opposed to all the secrecy from, you know, World War II on. seems like the government really had a lock on, we don't talk about this stuff. And if you saw something weird, no, you didn't. It felt like through the late 90s, early 2000s, like there was starting to be this exhaustion from that or like this push towards, okay, it's way past time to get this info out, but nobody really knew how to do it or was they were maybe afraid to do it. Yeah, maybe this has all been in the works. Yeah. And then you have somebody like Tom DeLonge who's just like, hey, 
<laughs> what's going on. I'll do it. I like aliens. <laughs> yeah, maybe right place, right time or something. But, uh, you know, and that's another thing just to relate personally. I've been in that position where you have this thing that for so many years, nobody was resolving and was like, what the hell is going on here? And you start asking questions at the right time and you're just not an asshole. And they're like, all right, we'll talk to you. We'll answer some questions. And next thing you know, the ball is rolling. So I don't know, maybe the same thing happened to him. And it could be since, you know, Tom's such a public figure that like with him putting so much pressure on the government, they're like, all right, well, maybe we do need to start slowly releasing some information, not full-blown alien invasion information, but like, yeah, we found this craft with non-human parts in it. <laughs> do you think it, the uh, the people that started talking to Tom DeLonge ever heard some of his early earlier songs? <laughs> there's some There's some bangers out there. I'd be surprised if they'd heard any of his recent songs either. I just can't imagine anybody at that level. You know, I've had this question for a long time. Like I remember talking to my girlfriend about, can you imagine like Donald Trump or Joe Biden sitting down and intentionally putting music on? No. Because it's really hard for me to imagine them putting on music for enjoyment. I just think at those levels, they're not real. Like they don't have a lot of real human emotion anymore. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like what what would they listen to? And I, I honestly couldn't tell you a band, a genre, an artist, anything. I, I come blank. <laughs> I picture Biden listening to like 40s, like big band <laughs> kind of stuff or like Dixieland jazz, maybe. Nice. And then Trump, like I really have a hard time imagining him listening to anything. But there is a really funny video of him driving with his son in the passenger seat and his wife is filming from the back seat and they are blasting 1989 by Taylor Swift. Really? And it's the funniest thing ever. Cause Trump just looks, I mean, he's not moving at all. He's not like nodding his head or <laughs> tapping his toes. He's just driving, but it's the weirdest video because the song just does not line up with what you're seeing. I've watched it a lot. That's- Maybe his most enjoyable stuff is uh, just listening to himself on the radio. No, no, no. See, he's more of a... Anybody ever saw Pets? The Secret Life of Pets? He's like the fancy uh, poodle when the owner walks out and then all of a sudden it's headbangers. <laughs> I hope that's true. Yeah, I could picture that. And I imagine Biden just... He only listens to Kendrick Lamar. Nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that when Biden is out of office and still alive, that he uh, starts putting out those summer playlists the way that Obama does. I would love that, honestly. (laughs) So we can really see what he's listening to. Because you can't lie on those things. You got to tell the truth. So on these spaceships that the aliens supposedly have, what kind of sound system do you think they have with their advanced civilization? Bluetooth straight to the brain. (laughs) (laughs) Like you think they're rocking out in these spaceships? Does anybody remember those like candy lollipop things from the late 90s that you would bite down on and they were supposedly play music in your head? I remember that. Yeah, what were they called? I know they had toothbrushes that did the same thing, but... Yeah, I bet it's something yeah. like that. It's some kind of advanced, like, beyond Bluetooth. Wasn't there, like, a uh, a headset for your phone that did that? Wasn't it called Jawbone or something? Yeah, I think so. Let's see. Uh, music lollipop. Zollipops? No, that's sound bites. That sounds right, yeah. Touch it to your teeth, hear it in your head. I remember the commercials, and I just thought, there's no way that's working as well as it does in the commercial. Yeah, I'd be curious to try it, but not for $300 for a lollipop. Going back to this whistleblower guy, I mean, in all the stuff that I did watch about him, he kept referencing when they said something about getting a more secure place to talk about things. You know, I don't think we'll ever hear any of that, but I wonder what could have been said, I guess. 
you know, how deep does this go? The things that we we won't hear. Yeah, I would love to be a fly in the wall when they do one of those skiffs that he asked for, where they go into like a secure room. Yeah. I would love to be a fly in the wall and listen to that. They said, uh, oh, you know, there's nothing higher than top secret. Everybody didn't at one point, somebody said everybody in this room has top secret clearance and we can talk about it. But there are other levels or other avenues of top secret. Like, I guess throwing my background out there. There were things I couldn't do even with a TS security clearance. They always talked about, well, if you were going to go work at this one Air Force base that we'll just say this one special plane, um, you were supposed to have Yankee white clearance. That's what everybody always called it. And that was for being in proximity to that plane and the person that rides on it. Yeah, I heard somebody talk about Yankee white. but I'm not familiar with what it is. So it's from everything I ever understood was it's a higher level of clearance versus just top secret. Because I tried to get stationed at that base to work on that plane, and I didn't get cleared to work there. You should have convinced them harder. No, it's it's probably, they knew one day I'd have a podcast. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so have y'all seen the three main videos that the government released? The FLIR 1, the Gimbal, and the GoFast? No. Oh, maybe I did, just don't remember, honestly. I watched them all when we started talking about this disclosure stuff, but... I know I've seen that Navy one a number of times, and even before it was made public, I feel like I had seen that video in, like, internet forums going back to the mid-2000s. I feel like that Navy video with the... Was that the one with the Tic Tac? Yeah, the Tic Tac. Yeah, I feel like that thing had been going around in in forums for a while. Yeah, I don't remember seeing it that far back, but I know Tom DeLong had a big hand in uh, getting that one released before, like, it was officially released. Yeah, I remember when everybody started talking about it in the last couple of years about the, I want to say it's the USS Nimitz yeah. um, that had, had seen this thing. I thought, wait a minute, I know all about that incident from like a long, long time ago. And I had no idea that the average person hadn't, I guess. I, I just thought it was when when I heard that that had broke, I thought I thought that was old news. But I don't know, maybe I'm confusing it. Living in the future. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> So do you think the aliens are sponsored by Tic Tac? <laughs> you know, what's interesting is that like, I used to be like an obsessive reader of UFO books. And I was in high school, I always had a UFO book with me. And, you know, from people talking about sightings, there's a few specific shapes that come up over and over again. Like the black triangle is one that a lot of people have reported seeing or like the classic saucer shape. And then for whatever reason, the, the Tic Tac, or they'll refer to it as like a cigar shape, is a pretty popular one going back to like the 40s. That's and, true. Uh, I didn't think about cigar being the same thing, but yeah, it pretty much is. Yeah, I guess like a like a tube, like a rounded tube shape of some kind, or a capsule maybe I would describe it as. But um, yeah, it's interesting that those shapes seem to repeat so often. Well, I mean, I just think about if something is traveling, say, through space, what shape would be ideal. And honestly, a cigar would almost work because it's not like you're doing a lot of maneuvering side to side if you're flying in space over distances. I wouldn't think you'd, you know, you'd probably go to straight line. So cigar kind of makes sense because it avoids any debris while giving a lot of space for any type of boost system in the back. Actually, yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about the debris aspect of it. Yeah, one of the things I remember Bob Lazar talking about that has really stuck with me is watching these flying saucers out in the desert that they would test. And he was saying, you know, when they move through space, you see in like movies or cartoons, they're like kind of sitting horizontal and they're usually spinning. 
And he said, but when they move through space at rapid speed, they turn belly up and they like fly vertically. And I thought, well, that's pretty interesting. That's like an aspect that I wouldn't have thought of. And that's one of the reasons Bob Lazar's story like always has stuck out to me so much is so many of the things that he said kind of went against what we knew about traditional like flying saucer mythology or legends that people had spoken about. There were things that he said that I feel like have proven true or that over time have made more sense than they did back when he came out. Right. So yeah, that's one that, that I kind of remember is just that configuration, being able to flip and, and move forward in a different way. And if you look at the, the video, I think it's the one called Gimbal. You actually see it rotate about 45 degrees, 90 degrees, and it looks like it moves forward on that axis, just like Bob Lazar described. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, And thinking about it, it almost makes sense. Like, well, the thing like the saucer disc shape. So whenever you're sailing a planet with some type of atmosphere, you wouldn't, it wouldn't be ideal to go, I guess, vertically. You'd kind of want the sandwich, this flatter ends to be forward and back. But when you're going through space, air doesn't exist. Aerodynamics don't matter. So why not turn face up and fly in that manner? I mean, maybe there's different flying orientations depending on atmospheric conditions. And I think that's how he described it. I think it is two different like orientations. Like one is more, you know, planetary kind of navigation, whereas the one that goes sideways is more of a uh, like interstellar, or I guess using the the I guess the anti gravity type of movement. Yeah, my memory is that he had specifically referred to like the wave generators at the bottom of the craft would move into different configurations, and I think right. he called them the delta and the omicron configuration based on which kind of travel it was going to do. And there was a lot of just like my stance on Bob Lazar has always been, he's either absolutely telling the truth or he's like one of the greatest storytellers of our time. He's really put a lot of effort and time into constructing this story if it's not true. And so, you know, there's part of me that, that has at times wondered if it's not made up. And I still think I, Still like the story. I enjoy hearing it. Yeah, I think he's pretty believable, you know, and I remember him talking about gravitational waves. And a few years ago, they actually finally proved that gravity is made of a wave or that there are gravitational waves. And, you know, when he was saying all that, it was not figured out or at least not to the public. We didn't know that. So it's kind of cool hearing these things that he says coming out as true years and years later. Yeah. And another was he was talking about element 115 on the periodic table before it had been really discovered or understood. And he was talking about that they had found a way to stabilize it and use the energy that it burned off to fly this craft. And in the 30, 40 years since he came forward, they've come to understand it a lot better. And it seems to be holding pretty true with everything that he said about it back then, which I guess part of that could just be theoretically like, you can tell a lot about what an element is going to be based on the space that it's going to take up on the periodic table when it's discovered. But it's still impressive to me because I don't know anything about science. Right. I'm not, I'm no scientist. Um, technically I, uh, I get a discount on my car insurance because they list me as being a scientist because of a bachelor's degree. Um, really? Bachelor of science. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a land surveying degree. It's I'm not a scientist, but since it's a bachelor of science, the dude just like you know what that works. Land science, sure, nice. So, Chris, have you ever seen a UFO? I have actually. Really? Yeah. I don't know how much detail you want me to go into. Everything. But, All of it. <laughs> all right. Um, 
like, yeah, it's very like bizarre, just instant, like life changing moment for me. So I, like I said, I had always been into UFOs and read about them a lot, but had never seen anything like it. Um, I was hanging out with some friends one night and then this was 2005 and I didn't drive. And so one of them had to give me a ride home. And so they were giving me and another guy a ride home and we started driving towards my house and there's this huge dip in my town that like where the road just dips like, I don't know, 50 feet down to the bottom and then it comes really steeply back up. And when we came up the opposite side, we saw like this orange orb, I guess I would describe it like a, it was circular, but it was more almost like bell shaped and it was kind of an orange, yellow, amber color and it was glowing over the top of this house and it looked like it was starting to move up. And I think my first thought is it was, it looked like one of those Chinese lanterns that you set on fire, but it was way bigger than that. And so we all pointed it out, like, what is that? And as we started to get closer, it kept getting higher and higher, but it was moving super weird. And so Mm. the closer we got, we're like, what the hell are we seeing right now? So we got to the top of this dip and we just pulled the car over and we all got out of the car and we stood on the street corner and just watched it. And it kept getting higher and higher and higher, but we could still see it. It's glowing and it's super bright. And when it was like, you know, I don't know how many feet way, way above us, it split into three even parts. What? And the three parts like formed a triangle and then they started to rotate around each other, like do this little circular dance. And like, as it was happening, we're like, Oh my God, this is a UFO. This is like, whatever those people have seen, we're seeing that thing right now. That is insane. We didn't know, like, is it aliens? Is it something the government's testing? I have no idea, but I know that whatever we saw, it's like, this is a classic UFO sighting. It's the way it's moving. And so then they they moved around in a circle around each other for a while. And then each one, one at a time, like shot off in opposite directions. They like faster than anything I've ever seen. And so by the end of it, it was like, what the hell did we just see? And we were just like shaking and eventually got back in the car and they drove me home. And it was like in the early stages of me talking to this girl that we had, you know, a mutual crush on each other and we'd been talking and we'd been hanging out that night. So I texted her when I got home and I'm like, Oh my God, like we saw a UFO, like on our drive home, we saw a UFO. And she was like, are you ever going to ask me out or not? Like she was so <laughs> me, and it totally ruined the mood for me. Cause I thought whatever I just saw has changed my life entirely. And this girl's just pissed that I'm such a pussy that I haven't asked her out yet. So. <laughs> That's like vividly in my memory of like that whole day. And so this was, you know, 18 years ago now. And so maybe 10 years ago, I reached out to the guy that was driving and we had not spoken since, like we had no affiliation and I found him on Facebook and I sent him a message and I said, I know this is really weird and you probably don't even remember what I'm talking about, but do you remember you driving me home this one night and we saw a UFO and he was like, dude, I think about that all the time. Wow. And I said, what do you remember? And he described it exactly the way that I just did. Like every detail was the same. And he said, I I think about it all the time. And so, yeah, whatever we saw, I won't label it because I really don't know where that thing came from. But it was like the classic 
this doesn't move like anything on earth. It's like doing these weird, especially when it's split into pieces. I just thought, okay, we don't have anything like this that I know of. So yeah. Right. Like my first thought was, could it just have been a Chinese lantern? And then you said it splits and I'm like, no, no, it can't. (laughs) Yeah. So what did it rotate fast or was it just kind of slow, like hovering? It was pretty slow. Like when, once it split, it was like they formed a triangle and they were moving at a perfect pace, like just rotating around each other pretty slow. But once they each shot off, I mean, they just went and they were gone. And but each one in its own opposite direction from the others. One at a time or all together? One at a time. And it was just I mean, it was like mathematically concise. It was like and they, you know, they each shot off from separate points of the triangle that they had formed. So it was like, okay, whatever those things were, it clearly wasn't one craft by that point, but it had started off that way. But it was almost like it either released smaller crafts or that it just divided itself, you know, like mitosis or something. Weird. And then, yeah, once they shot off, I thought, well, that was way too fast to be anything that we have. And just every part about it was, you know, hair standing up on the back of your neck. It was like, what am I seeing right now? And so like just historically in the gosh, fifties or sixties, my grandma saw a UFO in like generally the same area of our town. Um, They lived on like a little ranch before our town was fully developed. And they lived in a really small house that backed up to these hills. And you just had a view of the hills as far as you could see. And she, like, looking out her kitchen window, saw what she described as a cigar-shaped metallic object land on the hillside. And people or, like, humanoid things got out of it and looked like they were maybe trying to repair the craft or something or, you know, taking... Wow, so she actually saw something come out of it. Yeah. she And I remember, like... You know, there's close encounters of the first kind, the second kind, the third kind. And so I believe that's a close encounter of the third kind. If you actually see some kind of living right. alien or something, whatever it is. So, and she, I guess, told my grandpa when he got home and he laughed it off and didn't take her seriously. And my grandma is just like the last person on earth you would expect to make something like that up. And so I always believed it. And uh, I never really talked to her about it, though. And so I've been asking my mom and her sisters, like, what do you remember about that? And they said, just our memory is how upset she got that nobody believed her. It was like, she saw what she saw. And it was exactly, you know, it was a science fiction style flying saucer tube craft, whatever it was. And these things that got out of it, she said, didn't look like people or she would have dismissed it. You know, she didn't, she didn't say an airplane landed and people got out. It was like, whatever she saw didn't make sense to her. And she had a good enough view out that window that you know, an unobstructed view. So it's it's generally within maybe a quarter to a half mile from where I saw what I saw. And so I've been thinking about that recently, just how weird it is that both my grandma and I saw UFOs like 50 years apart from each other in the same region. And I, I should, just for context, I should add that we live like right off of an Air Force base, uh, Vandenberg, um, hmm. which is now actually Vandenberg's Space Force Base. <laughs> Go figure. Um, they changed their name recently. And so when they launch a rocket off, like you can see it clearly from our house, it shakes our windows. They have these ones that SpaceX does now where they actually go up and then they come back and land back on the pad. 
Oh, those are over there? Yeah. And so when they land, I mean, I'm probably half an hour away from the actual launch site. And so when they land, there's a delay. And then all of a sudden, our windows and doors just rattle. It like it sounds like somebody slammed our garage door and we're far away from it. So anyway, I grew up seeing rocket launches from there. So I'm super familiar with all the stuff that goes on at the base. And that base is also in the complete opposite direction of where I saw this. So whatever the case, um, I'm really familiar with Air Force Base launches and, and rocket stuff from that. And whatever this was, it was nothing like that. Well, and I think that leads, like, uh, gives, I guess, credibility to your claim here because, I mean, you've seen, uh, you know, whatever, I say spaceship, but, you know, rockets take off. You've seen Air Force planes flying around. And for you to say that these lights you saw sped off at a speed that, like, none of our technology is capable of, I mean, you would know because you've seen what our technology is capable of. Right, yeah, comparing it to the things I've seen, it was like, okay, this was mind-blowing, whatever it was. (laughs) And again, how, with how low it was, when we first started to come up on it, it was like right over the rooftops of this neighborhood. And so, which is why I said at first, maybe Chinese Lantern, but by the time we got closer, it's like, this thing is maybe as big as that house. It's not small. And so once it was up in the air a little ways, it was like, we had a very clear view of it all the way up to where it was like airplane level above us. So how big was it like relatively like to the size of the moon or stars? Um, you know, it was closer. And so I, I would compare it more to like when you see an airplane flying overhead late at night, how you just see like a light. It, it was okay. more like that, where it was like definitely within our atmosphere still and, and very close to us, but uh, comparatively. And, and again, moving and, and glowing a very, like a very distinct color that I almost don't want to even say like somewhere between orange and yellow, but I, I could I could point out the exact shade if I saw it again. It was so unique to whatever this was. And so even when it was high above us and small, it still was glowing in such a different shade than anything else in the sky that it was clearly not anything else. Because, you know, we, we live pretty close to an airport too. So when planes are coming in, sometimes at night you see one and it's just moving in a weird way or it's not blinking like normal. And you're like, what am I seeing? Is that a UFO? And then it does a normal thing and you're like, Nope, airplane. And a hundred percent of the time it's always an airplane. But this was one where it was like, Nope, this was something else. Yeah. I've seen, um, I, I drive in through new Orleans to get home from work and I'll pass right by the airport and I'll see planes way out in the distance and sometimes they'll line up and it looks like a triangle and I'm like oh man is this it am I finally seeing a UFO and then they just get out of line and you see it's just a line of airplanes and so yeah I know exactly what you mean like they do look weird sometimes but then you end up realizing it's just an airplane yeah well I was gonna ask you said it it raised into the sky and then split did did the color change from the, the rays to the split or was it the same color the entire time? It stayed the same color. And okay. like, if I remember correctly, as each one sped off, it kind of just turned into like a white stripe for a minute. Like as each one shot off, it just left like a, a white streak behind it or just like light, just white light Interesting. until it disappeared. But yeah, almost like it was going faster than the speed of light. (laughs) Yeah, something like that. Just like, you know, like a a photo flash almost. So did this encounter set you off on the path of believing in UFOs or was it before that? I think you said it was before that. Well, that's 
Yeah, like I was saying, I, I had been fascinated by UFOs most of my life. I would, my mom works at the library in our town. And so a lot of times when we didn't have school or whatever, we'd just hang out in the library all day. And I always gravitated towards the UFO books. And uh, especially once I got into high school, like I said, I always had like a super thick, there was a book called Above Top Secret that I had for a long time. I'm pretty sure I had like overdue fines <laughs> and um, a book called Alien Agenda, I remember reading. And so I was always reading about it, but this was a defining moment where I went from reading about them, like something's going on, they're hiding something from us to seeing what I saw and going, okay, there's zero doubt left in my mind that, you know, no skepticism anymore that these people are making things up. And when it comes to like alien abduction stories, you know, those books are always full of things like that. They're kind of hit or miss. There's some that I read about and I think, I just don't believe you or this, something about this doesn't add up. And then there's other ones that just like, like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Betty and Barney Hill story. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Like, I don't know, fifties or early sixties or something, this older couple and came forward with these claims and they stuck to their story and they just seem like kind of like my grandma, just the last people on earth you would ever expect to make something like this up. There's just nothing in it for them. And they're so believable and trustworthy that this many years later, we're still look at that one and go, well, whatever they saw, it was weird. Like I said earlier, I got a pretty good bullshit detector and reading some of those stories. I thought, you know, I don't buy everything at face value. Like I'm not just out there on some trip where I just believe everything's true. But once I saw the one I saw, I thought, okay, this is whatever I saw. And I'm glad I had two witnesses with me because I'm not on my own here. Whatever I saw was the real deal, whatever that means. And so it's, it, I guess it just changed my perception of like the people who talk about this stuff. There's no question in my mind anymore that they're seeing the same thing I saw. You know, you always hear these classic stories about men in black or whatever showing up afterwards and trying to convince people they saw like, swamp gas or a reflection from headlights or something or some weird thing where you're just like, you could never explain what I saw with some generic thing like that. You'd have to, you'd have to explain everything it did, every maneuver in order for me to be satisfied. And the two things that could do that were some kind of alien craft, not from this earth or some kind of advanced technology that the government's keeping a secret because they don't want us to know how advanced they are or what they've got. And I'd buy one of those two, but anything short of that, I'm like, no, it's it wasn't swamp gas. <laughs> what I find funny about that is the that swamp gas statement. I heard an interview with that guy. He actually regretted ever making that statement because he said that everything after that always turned into swamp gas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I believe it. You brought up a good point with Betty and Barney Hill. People like them or even, you know, your story. And you said, like, your bullshit detector, you know, you got a pretty good sense of one. The people that come out with some of these stories that stick to their guns, that their story actually ends up messing with their life and kind of causing their life to go in a bad direction. I mean, but they don't change their story. So, you know, they're seeing something that actually affected them and changed their lives. So that said, why do you think the average person doesn't care that we're potentially being disclosed about aliens? You know, like. The average person seems to not give a shit that aliens might be real and the government's telling us about it. You know, what's been really interesting that I've been clocking for the last few months is these, you know, like on my Instagram explore feed or whatever, like I'll see these memes pop up. It'll say like the government says aliens are real and they're like 
who cares? Why does gas cost so much? Yeah. And people seem to think that's so hilarious and they're sharing it. I just keep seeing different iterations of that same general theme. And I'm like, why is this funny? And why is this working? It's almost like, you know, a government psyop where they're like maybe doing this on purpose to discredit themselves or, or to put this info out. It's, it's just so weird that so many people are making the same joke. The government has just confirmed aliens are real and I don't care because groceries are so expensive. And it's like, okay, for one, the government did not confirm aliens are real. Like you're really yeah. stretching what actually happened. But two, why don't you care? Thank you. I'm so glad someone else says this. Yeah. Two, why don't you care? Like what actually happened is that people have started blowing the whistle and saying there's more going on behind the scenes and I can't share it all, but you you know, like Snowden or someone that came out and said, you guys should look into this stuff because I'm telling you, I've worked in the field and I've seen what I've seen and it's bad. And so I buy that, but they didn't confirm aliens were real, but somehow that's turned into the joke is like aliens are real, but who cares because there's an election going on and a war going on and everything's so expensive. I've always thought the day that we have a hundred percent confirmation that there's life elsewhere. I'm not going to work that day. Oh God! No. You know, like that's going to be it. It should be a momentous occasion, and it, and it would put in it would put in jeopardy everything I thought I knew, and I think the whole world would react the same way. It'd be like, okay, if there's aliens, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not going to Starbucks today. I'm not going to work. I'm not going to have like a normal hangout dinner with my friends. Today is going to be a huge day, and it's going to change the way that I view life from this point on. And so that's the part about disclosure that I think they're trying to maybe tiptoe around is they don't want to start a mass panic. Yeah. And I, I can't blame them. And it will. I mean, inevitably. Oh yeah. It would be immediate chaos. I mean, eventually things would have to settle down once people realize like, yeah, we have this information, but we really can't do anything with it. And our lives do have to carry on. So I think eventually things would level out, but for a while it would be panic and chaos, I would think. Right. Like what if the truth is Yes, they're real. They're here. They have been. We're all enslaved. And then they just came out and told us that. Nobody, everybody would lose their shit. Right. It's going to be another Where Were You song. Where were you in the day we found out? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, if if an alien family wants to adopt me as their pet, I, I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs> to bring me away. Come get Jeremy. And then, Jeremy, you let me know when they come get you so I can see them. I'll put in a good word for you. Okay. And look, I don't want to be taken. Just let me see him. Earlier, you brought up Vandenberg as being near where you were from. And I'm just thinking that whole area, the West Coast, they've had so many good stories out of like, I worked out of Santa Barbara one time out there near the Channel Islands. When you get to the West Coast, it's not just UFOs. What's the other word I'm looking for? UFOs? Is it submerged objects? Yeah, the submerged yeah. objects, which is, that's a whole different thing. Are they though? Because to me, if you can go through space and atmosphere equally at the speed of light or faster, you know, water's not going to stop you either. True, true. You know, I, I wonder if solids like the ground would stop you, honestly, if you if you wanted to go through it, you know. Thinking about USOs, it, it makes me think about the old story about uh, Lake Baikal over in, what is that, Russia? Lake Baikal... The story is with the the shiny silver people that were encountered inside the water that nobody knew what they were. That could have been a, a USO all, all on its own or even some different type of alien life that lived down there at some point. 
I mean, that's not a new story. The the story about Lake Baikal is an older story, a lot older story. So what is Lake Baikal? I've, I've never heard of that. You never heard about the Lake Baikal story? I don't think so. The gist of the story, the basics, it was some Russian special forces that were doing training in the area. And they ended up going to the lake to do more training. And they were going to dive into the lake. Well, when they dove into the lake, they encountered something that they did not recognize that was not a fish. They said it looked more like a person. And when they tried to get close to it, one person, I think, ended up dying and two ended up getting severely injured. I can't recall the whole story at the moment. Uh, I think one person, I don't remember if they got drugged down or pushed back up fast enough to get the bins where... And the bins is when you decompress faster than you should after being at a depth. Yeah, that's never a good thing. So they were basically flung back up out of the water um, at one point. So like, does it scare you in general, the idea of aliens being confirmed real? Obviously the worldview aspect of it, but what about how people will react? Look at how the world reacted to COVID. Yeah, I, I think of that as a pretty good litmus test. And, you know, without getting political or anything, I mean... It severely divided the world, and there was mass panic. There were mass toilet paper shortages, <laughs> and I can't imagine that aliens would be anything less than it, it. I think it would change everything. I think it would change religions. I think it would change people's perception of what we're doing on Earth. You know, I wonder if if we were to find out that we were engineered by some kind of alien civilization that's like the whole theory of the ancient astronauts and and whether or not we were put here intentionally by another race from somewhere else that comes back and checks in on us every once in a while i think about you know mass jumps in technology throughout history like the ancient egyptians and civilizations that kind of had no business being as advanced as they were and then all of that seemed to get lost through wars and all of that and devices they uncover from tombs and stuff where they're like, what the hell is this? It's like, it's got a battery and it's making noise and stuff. And it, they didn't have this kind of technology back then. Those things have always made me wonder about that. Like how many times have aliens come here and kind of put us back on the right track or, you know, boosted our DNA in some way to make us a little bit smarter, a little bit stronger, and then left and come back to see I don't think I mentioned, uh, like, I know in that recent disclosure, one of the UFOs they talked about was actually over Vandenberg, that it was the the big, like, red cube. Oh, really? That the they one inside, about, the I one think it was inside of a sphere or something, right? Yeah, they said it was, like, two football fields wide. It hovered over Vandenberg Air Force Base, I believe. I haven't had a lot of time to read about it, but I remember hearing that. And uh, there's another story from Vandenberg from, I want to say, the late 80s or early 90s, where they were doing these missile tests. And the missiles had like these nuclear warheads on them or, or dummy warheads or something that they were getting ready to send off. And as they were doing these tests, they saw some kind of UFO on the radar go over the missile field. And suddenly it just shut off all of the warheads. They, like, yeah, I've heard of that. Their systems just went down. And so they relaunched it. And as they did, this object appeared again and shut them all down again. And they freaked out because their first thought was like, it's Russia or it's China or it's somebody like trying to stop us from getting these weapons ready because they're going to, you know, blow us up first. And then pretty soon they're climbing up the chain of command and they've got guys telling them, don't tell anybody what you saw. Like, don't ever tell anybody about this. And those guys didn't come forward until way, way later to say, you know, to tell this story. And I remember reading about it and going, yeah, that's, 
that seems to be a common theme in a lot of UFO stories, and especially people who claim to have had contact with aliens, is that their major concern seems to be that we're going to destroy the planet. Right. And the biggest wave of UFOs began, like Oppenheimer is big right now, everybody's talking about that again, when they started detonating nuclear weapons. I mean, you can imagine what that looks like from space. And especially if there's a civilization keeping an eye on us, there's suddenly an explosion from like 1945 on where everybody's seeing flying saucers. And I wonder, did they show up because they were like, what the hell is going on down there? What are they doing? And it's like coming home and seeing your dog playing the Xbox. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, what are they doing? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I can't imagine, you know, if they put us here for some purpose or if they're monitoring us for some purpose and then we they see that we're blowing like massive craters into our own surface <laughs> and and polluting the atmosphere with it, they've got to be like, what the hell are you guys doing? <laughs> you idiots. <Yeah. laughs> You're messing everything up. It's got to be pretty embarrassing. That's exactly why I don't know if I believe that the government hasn't been taking it seriously all this time. You know, if they truly don't know anything about it, then why wouldn't they take it seriously that somebody can come in, nobody knows who it is, and turn off our missiles, our defense? You know, like, I just, I yeah, don't Yeah, they would have been it. waging war on another country. Right. <laughs> if it were, you know, Russia or China or something. Um, or maybe, maybe counterpoint to, to your theory there, Chris, is um, maybe since we started doing nuclear testing, we all have radiation poisoning at very mild levels that give mass hallucinations. <laughs> so we're just, as as a world, we're losing our minds. And it's actually starting to really show in recent <laughs> times. You know, it doesn't sound too far off. I was always fascinated with that, uh, the Trinity test that that you see in Oppenheimer, where, I mean, he worked for so long on the the formulas behind you know, the science behind how these things would work, but it was all just theoretical. And the moment that he witnessed that first explosion, it seems like it just traumatized him for the rest of his life. And I remember watching old interviews with him where he's just crying and he's like, what the hell have I done? You can't put that cat back in the bag. Yeah. I mean, it, it really did start a chain reaction, but then at the same time, I mean, this is, I think that was 1945 you had the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962 where we were like on the brink of nuclear war. Like we almost blew up Russia and and they probably were going to blow us up back. And it was so close. But my parents were born around that time and my parents are in their early 60s now. And I think, wow, how lucky are they that in their entire lifespan, we haven't blown each other up yet. It just seems like it just came to a dead halt all of a sudden. Like we just kept climbing the ladder until we got so powerful and then we just stopped miraculously and haven't destroyed each other yet haven't destroyed the planet yet and we are so close at different points almost like somebody came in and said you better put that shit away right now yeah and when they do you listen you know yeah i remember one of those coast to coast shows that was about the moon landing and they were talking about you know the way that we we went to the moon starting in 1969 and we kept going back until like 1972, 73, which is really not that long, you know, like four or five years. And we have never gone back again. It's super weird, right? That every manned moon landing in history happened during the Nixon administration and then never again. It's so weird. And somebody on that show was like, yeah, because the last time we went, they warned us not to come back. And I was like, I remember like, yeah, I've heard similar things. 
yeah, just getting chills. Like, yeah, if something's up there and it warns you, I mean, you take that seriously and clearly, you know, something happened and, and NASA's explanation for it has always just bewildered me. They're like, yeah, it's just boring up there. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, I mean, a lot of the country is boring and you don't, you plow that down and build, you know, apartment complexes and banks and stuff. And there's huge sections of the earth that are, you know, forested or desert that are slowly being paved over and made into places for us to live and, and build industry off of. And the whole planet or the whole, you know, surface of the moon is just empty. And you're like, nah, it's boring. I just can't imagine that if we had the technology to get there in the late 60s, that we wouldn't have advanced by now that we could get up there more easily and that we wouldn't keep going back. Yeah, there should be like tour buses going there. <laughs> well, we saw how that happened with the submarine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like the, or the billionaires that just like go up in the atmosphere and then come back down for a couple million dollars. And you're like, okay, that must be fun. Yeah, there's nothing like that. We're just never going to go to the moon again. It's always just struck me as odd. There's something that doesn't line up with American excellence and capitalism and all the things that America stands for. We got up there and we immediately put our flag up there. We were pretty proud about it. And then we just decided, nah, it's boring. And also not to mention, not a single country has ever followed in our footsteps. Isn't that so weird that like no country has matched us and put people on the moon behind us? It's just something doesn't add up there. Yeah. Not to mention, you know, we send rovers to Mars, seems like the moon's a hell of a lot easier to get to to test those kind of things out. Why not station there where you can send a rover from the moon to Mars and not have to fight Earth's gravity, you know? Well, that's what's on the dark side. Yeah. <laughs> well, the dark side is where, where the aliens are. Well, true, true. But it's like, a, it's a joint base. Like, you know, humans and aliens. Yeah, and I can't imagine there's like, you know, somebody like Elon Musk who buys Twitter When's he going to buy the moon? Like when is, when are one of those dudes going to buy the moon and just be like, this is mine now and I'm going to do what I want with it. Yeah. Cause even Elon has not said anything about going back to the moon. You know, he's skipping past that step. He's like, we're going to Mars. Yeah. You know, like should, he, shouldn't you start a little smaller? <laughs> the moon is like this, it's like a giant floating billboard that could be used. You know, it's like when you drive past those billboards on the freeway that are just white and they're like, call this number if you want to rent this thing, it's like the moon is just up there. Coca-Cola could buy it and put their logo up and it would be a massive win for them. You could do a lot of things with the moon. And also, like I don't know, I'm like a little bit bothered that they just land a little, this little tin can on the moon. They get out and they ride around on a golf cart for half an hour and then they're just <laughs> like, all right, there's nothing up here. Like, like if I'm you bored. landed in the middle of Nevada and rode around, you wouldn't know that Vegas was a couple hours south, you know? like. Check it out. Make sure like there's right. got to be something up there. And and I don't know. I don't have enough faith in the government that if they had found something that they'd be like, guys, we got to tell you what we saw. Like, we can't keep this a secret. We have to tell you because we're super honest. They're like, they're not honest about anything. Exactly. What if it, the moon is just full of the skeletal remains and that's it? And they were just like, <laughs> fuck this yeah that's why it's <laughs> white you know the dust is just it's been kind of broken up over time but underneath that it's just straight skeletons and like you know what we're not coming back well i've heard that um i don't know who it was specifically but i've heard rumors that it was that it's actually full of color up there and that they were just showing us black and white photos because i guess that's all they had back then but you know like 
that people have shown that there's no stars visible in the photos they took up there. And that because it's all blacked out because they're hiding, you know, Martian cities or something. I mean, um, lunar cities. I don't know if I believe all that. That's a little far-fetched, but. No, that's a whole other episode about how we go into a conspiracy about how that was all faked. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I think with things like that, with UFOs and that, or like, like I'm super into like the JFK assassination and all that, and I've researched it for most of my life, just super invested and curious. There's always theories that go a little bit too far, and I feel like some of them are intentional disinformation that's been placed there to make us all look crazy. Like, I don't know if you guys know this, but like the term conspiracy theory actually took off after the Warren commission report on the JFK assassination. It was like a CIA operation to discredit anybody who was doing legitimate research. Like people who would look into it. They're like, we're going to refer to them as conspiracy theorists and just say that they're nuts And it worked so well that now when you say the word conspiracy, most people think you mean like a crazy idea. And conspiracy (laughs) just means that more than one person conspired to achieve a goal. It just means that more than one person was working together to assassinate the president. But it worked so well that, you know, our generation thinks the word conspiracy and they picture tinfoil hats and the crazies. And it's it was a brilliant operation to discredit people who were doing real work and had real legitimate ideas. And everybody who tries to discredit JFK assassination research, they always point to the craziest fringes and say, see, they're all nuts, but there's legitimate questions and things that have been raised. And, um, you know, that's a topic we can save for another time, but I certainly think it applies to moon landing and UFO stuff. There's a lot of fringe theories that I feel like you can point at and go, see anybody who believes the moon landing didn't happen or that there was something off about it. They're like, they're the furthest fringe nuts as opposed to just people with legitimate concerns or things that have been raised. Like the fact that all of the original tapes of that transmission were recorded over because they didn't have space for it. Have you heard that before? No. Is that true? Yeah. Like NASA, like filmed the moon landing. And then they said in the eighties, Oh, we just recorded over those tapes because we didn't have any tapes free. And so we had a severe tape (laughs) shortage and we just taped over the moon landing. So there's no more original footage. It's all taped off of somebody's TV set, which is a severely degraded compressed version. So all the things like the fact that there's no stars and all that, that's because it's really degraded quality. And the original one, we just didn't have room for, so we taped over them. And I think you don't even tape over like, you know, your grandma's birthday party or, you know, your wedding or something like that. You don't tape over those things. You set them aside and get a new tape. And especially if you're right. NASA, why don't you just invent new tapes or something? But there's a lot <laughs> yeah, of legitimate I think, I questions. Like I think my dad still has a VHS with the Challenger explosion recorded on it. Wow. You know, like from TV. I feel like I've heard that though. The NASA thing. Yeah, there's a lot of sketchy things that, like, you know, shouldn't we be a little suspicious? Yeah. Well, you say, like how you said the, you know, conspiracy was kind of blown up into this other bigger thing than it actually is. And you got the people that are at the fringes, and then they say, you know, look at these people. It's the same as being from Louisiana. You know that. Well, I mean, Peter and them know that. The When a hurricane passes, you get the most off-the-wall person to talk about how the hurricane was such the craziest thing in the world. 
or in Alabama when you get the grandma in her moo that says the tornado was this and this and it was so and it was bad. on fire and there was a leprechaun chasing yeah it, you know <laughs> there were cows and shout out to another podcast uh, astonishing legends they've got a guy on there that they interview every now and then that's with MUFON they talk about a lot of interesting stuff about just the aliens and you know reporting and they've got a lot of good stories on there yeah that's cool I, I know MUFON was like one of the few organizations that I would trust to like come forward with the information they have or the truth. And they're like one of the few organizations I would trust to report my own experience or citing to because it's legitimately just people who want answers and who care about that stuff. And like I said, with JFK assassination stuff, there's groups that I've come to trust that like are actually saving a lot of this stuff for legitimate research. And then there's other ones that just feels like their entire goal is to discredit everything. And I'm sure the same exists in UFO circles. Oh yeah. I'm sure it yeah. does. Like MUFON takes everybody's, you know, reports and it all compiles it all. And I feel like the same thing is going to happen with the aliens as it does with Bigfoot. You know, nobody wants to believe the clearest picture out there. They say, Oh, well, that's fake. Cause it's too clear. And then they say, Oh, that's fake because it's too grainy. You can't see it. So, I mean, the the only good evidence we're going to have is when somebody comes down and shakes our hands. Yeah, he did get me thinking, though, because going back to like, you know, we've never visited again. And like, why wouldn't we revisit the moon? Because clearly we have the tech. I mean, like you said, we put rovers on Mars and we've sent, you know, these satellites taking pictures of Jupiter and Pluto. Like, clearly we have the tech to get our objects out there into space. So why wouldn't we have gone back to the moon? And yeah. Even if, even if people say we never went, clearly we have the tech now to go, but we're still not doing it. So yeah, that's that's raise a question. Yeah. The, the theories that and I don't know shit, like I, I don't have any answers at all, but the two theories I always come back to is either the footage that we saw was fake because uh, either we can't actually get to the moon, we don't have that technology and couldn't figure it out, or we did get up there and there was something spooky up there and uh, we don't want to go back. Uh, anything less than that doesn't really add up to me, but it, particularly like the the company line, which is, it's just boring. It's just too boring up there. And also it costs too much. It's like, are you kidding me? The budget that we can put <laughs> into other things, you can't get us back to the moon. Yeah, like they have people that stay in space in the space station for months at a time. You you couldn't build a little base up there and do the same thing on the planet or on the surface. True. Right. So, Chris, do you have any upcoming projects up your own backyard volume two by any chance? Not for a while, at least. Um, you know, I wrapped up the podcast this summer. I'm still trying to help with the investigation, still trying to find her body and do whatever I can in terms of that. My emails are always open if people have information about it and stuff, but really don't have the bandwidth to move on to another case yet. Uh, it took a lot out of me. And so my, I, I got back to making music again, which I haven't had time to do while I've been doing this for the last five years. So all the songs I've written in that time, I'm just now getting around to recording and hopefully releasing an album pretty soon. And just focus on that until I regenerate and have something else to pour myself into. Yeah, I hear that. Cool. Well, I look forward to new music. It's been great having you on here. Thanks, man. Yeah. So yeah, we post pictures and other related stuff for each episode on our website, strangewoodspodcast.com. Don't forget to check us out on social media or on Facebook, Twitter, 
TikTok, and Instagram. We also have a Discord and a fan page on Facebook where you can chat and hang out with us. We also have some Strange Woods merch you can pick up at bootiesapparel.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you can keep up with the latest episodes. And check out your own backyard. Later, strangers. Bye. Later. Play strange. sweeter than the listeners of Jonathan, Jeremy, and Peter.